Welcome to the Burial Plot Horror Podcast with Brenda Tolian and Joy Yaley. Welcome to the Burial Plot. You found the best place for all things spooky and writerly. I'm horror writer Joy Yaley, and I'm joined by my fellow horror writer, Brenda Tolian. In this episode of The Burial Plot, we have dug up author Sarah J. Dew. <laughs> Sarah was born and raised in Alton Godfrey area of Illinois. Her first love is writing, and she's been at it since elementary school. She publishes her creative fiction and writes mostly horror and paranormal fiction with a little bit of sci-fi thrown in. She completed her first book in the summer of 2010. That book, For Two Cold Minutes, was first printed locally in 2012 and finally became her first self-published book in August of 2014. Sarah has participated in NaNoWriMo, which is the National Novel Writing Month, as well as Camp NaNoWriMo for many years. In November 2017, Sarah's novel Monsters was in the International Miami Book Fair. Her novel Starcrossed was her first major genre departure from her typical horror, paranormal, and sci-fi into the realm of romance. As well as Sarah's self-published books, her writing has been featured in her high school and college's literary journals. Outside of academia, she has short stories in volumes three and four of Lulu's Share Your Scare anthology. While writing is Sarah's first love, she has degrees in computer graphics and web design and designs all of her own book covers. Outside of schoolwork, she is a coffee enthusiast who loves going to independent shops in her local area when she travels, which she loves to do, checking out all of the cool atmospheres and delicious coffees they have to offer. She's an animal lover, enjoys playing video games, and believes in supporting artists of all kinds and mediums from all over the world. Sarah, welcome to The Burial Plot. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Sarah, I was looking over at your um, Goodreads author page and some other places, and you have an impressive catalog of publications, especially considering that you self-publish most of those. Um, that would seem like an overwhelming task for anyone. Writing a book is an overwhelming <laughs> task, but then handling all of the publishing side is just really impressive. Um, what made you decide to go with self-publishing? Well, whenever I was, uh, like you said in the intro, I've been writing since I was like super young was when I finally started taking it seriously. It was um, high school. I sat down and I wrote my first book and I was like, ah, yes, I'm going to take the world by the tail and I'm going to publish and I am going to be like a New York Times bestseller in no time. And at the time I was reading a bunch of books that were published by this publisher, um, Amulet Books, and they do do like a lot of young adult type books. And I don't know, they had a cool logo and, and they had a lot of books I liked. So I was like, yes, they do science fiction and horror. That's who I'm going to go with. So I went on the website and they weren't accepting pub, um, submissions. And I'm like, oh no, my dreams are crushed. I'm never going to be anything, uh, you know, dramatic, dramatic 18 year old. And um, my friend from school at the time who uh, was my one proofreader, She's like, hey, man, I was on like Google and I saw self-publishing is a thing. And I'm like, ooh, that's like a lot of work and I'm just not down. And as the years go by, I hit about 20 and I'm like, you know, Christopher Paolini was published at 15 and 
I've already got five years on him. So I've got to get down to business. So I, um, I, uh, went and looked into the self-publishing and at the time the two major ones were uh, Lulu and CreateSpace which CreateSpace doesn't even exist anymore but uh just of the two like Lulu looked the easiest it had the best uh royalties and so I read the how-to and I dived in and it was completely crazy and I've never looked back though like getting that first book in the mail, like this printed perfect paperback and it's got my name and my cover and all my stuff. It was just like something magical about that. So there's a certain freedom, I would say, I guess, with self-publishing while it's a lot of work, like you don't have deadlines, you don't have any, uh, you have to fit this mold or this genre, you got to change this piece of the story. Like, of course, like I have editors, which are not via the, I guess, printer, the publisher, but um, they provide all kinds of services on the sites. And I have looked into like, uh, I forget the name of it, but like Amazon self-publishing platform is a couple others. And most of them are like this, that they have uh, templates where you can lay out your, uh, the inside of your book. They have templates for the cover design. They also have in-house like editors. They have in-house cover designers. You can buy marketing packages if you like don't have the know-how or want to uh market yourself so it's one of those things if you kind of choose how far in you go but ultimately like all the rights remain with you which is awesome and you kind of can pick and choose and let's say that uh someone were to approach now I'm obviously not big enough for this but let's say someone were approached me from Hollywood in the big dream and they're like we want to make a uh, movie out of your book I don't have to go through all these channels of getting it approved and talking to the um, um, like publishers and agents and everything like I get to be like, yay or nay. So in that way, it's kind of cool. Once again, not that that's happened, I wish, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, been one of those things where it's just I would be hard pressed to ever switch, even if a publisher wanted to pick me up just because I like having everything residing with me. So that's kind of a quick little rundown did you have any like specific questions about the self-publishing or well I um you know because I I got your book um and looking it over now I've done um self-publishing of poetry um, mm -hmm. two books that way and it was a big pain oh my gosh I can't even I'm like looking through yours and I I'm still hard-pressed to find any kind of mistakes or it, like your formatting like everything is really really done well I have to say this is a this is a fantastic well, book you. fantastic cover fantastic back cover like you you had it way more down than I did for sure <laughs> and um so and it's not an easy process. Um, how long does it take you from writing, writing the book and then going through all those steps before you have the finished product in your, in your hand? Uh, some of that depends on um, just how long we have to take with the editing, because generally um, me and my editors usually do a minimum of three. I always say a minimum of three. There's never less than five drafts that we run through just to make sure we have caught everything. And then like a beta read. Cause um you know after we've looked at it five times we're not truly seeing it anymore so um we have someone else read through it but uh pretty much once we are done I sit down and I format it which I use Microsoft Word which is generally what most of their templates are in 
But I sit down, I format the inside. Usually prior to that, during the editing, I've been working on the cover because uh, I do all my own covers since I have the graphic design degree, which comes in very handy. But once you have your formatted file, you've chosen like your size um, because there's various sizes. I know that like Brenda, uh, mine is a um, pocketbook. So it's a four by six. Um, a lot of other ones are like US trade or I mean, there's a million sizes. So once you've picked your size and you've laid out your cover to be the proper size, you've laid out your um, inside, you pretty much just go on the website, you upload the inside, you scan, scroll through, make sure it all turned out okay. Um, you upload the cover, make sure that your spine is like centered, things like that. It'll show you a picture. And then um, you go through all the like, you can either buy or get, but they provide, at least Lulu provides an uh, ISBN. And you want to make sure you've got like your barcode on there, that you have that entered in everything, that you have all your info, like your summary, name, genre, all of that. Once you've made sure that's all okay, you're going to hit to save. And um, for global distribution, you do have to order a proof copy to like make sure it comes, everything looks good. Even if I wasn't doing global, I would recommend like you want to make sure that your product is 100% what you want it to be before you release it to the public. But um, from that moment that you hit publish, like people technically could order it if you wanted to make the link public. Uh, usually the printing, uh, once again, I don't know how some of the other ones work, but with Lulu, it's a print on demand. So it depends on how many orders are ahead of you. But uh, I'd say I usually get my books within like a week or two. That's very cool. Um, and then you also do like all your own marketing. You go to um, like, well, you were just out last night at, was it like a street a night street yeah it market? was a uh, local night market street market type thing yeah so you set up and so people aren't just like buying your books they're also I mean they're buying your books and they're actually meeting the author too yeah no very it's super neat um yeah no I do do all my own marketing at least at this point um because within that web design degree there was some uh social media management and things like that and then also, you know, websites. So I, I do my website, I do my marketing, I do my social media. And I do collab sometimes with other like authors in my area because like last night I was alone at the night market. There's a lot of times that I have one or two, sometimes three other people in a tent with me that have their books. But uh, there've been a lot of times recently I've been flying solo, but it's almost nicer when you have other people because you can kind of draw sometimes if you have different genres and I've also found that sometimes people are a little less awkward about coming into a tent when there's like a group versus just, hi, I'm one human. And it's awkward to walk away from me once we've engaged. So how do you find places to set up your um, tent at? Is it, do you go like to farmer's markets and craft fairs? That kind predominantly, of predominantly farmer's yeah. markets. And um, I'm going to have to give a little bit of credit. I kind of do piggyback off of my friend, um, Tisha, I think the last, I always see it written, uh, Matheny, who's in this area also, she does a lot of going around legwork, finding like markets and book fairs and things for us all to be at. But uh, for me, just on my own, I uh, live in Alton. So obviously I go to like the Alton farmer's market and I look for things in the Alton area. And uh, before that, um, I do a lot of writing at my local coffee shop because I'm the stereotypical writer who just drinks endless amounts of coffee and um I was really close with the owner of that establishment and 
she had a lot of events and we actually came up with, we do this event, did this event called uh, Riders of the Riverbend. Uh, it has since shifted ownership and I'm about to do my first one. That's just me coming up in November, but it's basically, it's a mix and mingle, but you can also sell books. And that's just been incredible. I have met so many like-minded people and so many like awesome books to read. And it's like all, all different because I find in this area, cause um, I don't know how much the listeners, if they've ever heard of Alton, but Al- Alton floats up there in one of the most haunted cities in America. It's always in the top three. So just growing up here, there's a huge like amount of, oh yeah, um, spooky stuff and ghosts. So obviously we always have a lot of horror writers, but it's been so amazing to have, I mean, fantasy writers, history writers, like all kinds of fiction. It's really cool to just meet people who write all different kinds of stuff and converse with all of them so I love going to the markets and everything but I almost love that kind of stuff more I just I love meeting and connecting with other writers yeah that's cool um I I suppose COVID probably put a little bit of a monkey wrench into some of that stuff but um are you pretty much back to normal now going to um markets and things um mostly uh with COVID what the case was was pretty much anything that was indoors was canceled so we pretty much went to strictly outdoor and um, last year it was still very much all masks were still required um, with things opening back up now. It's not so much masks, um, especially at the outdoor events and some indoor events are still being a little hesitant to get back on track, which my events and indoor events. So like we were supposed to have one April, 2020, and that certainly did not happen with everything with the pandemic, but uh yeah, I think everything, just looking at events availability and whatnot, are starting to get back to normal and get back into the swing of things. And then you also said you do all your own social media marketing and all of that, right? That's, mm-hmm. that, to me, that's that's the worst part of the <laughs> whole process for me is the social media marketing thing. How do you go about that? And um, just give us some tips on best practices there. Please give us tips. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've just got back on, I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I'm, I haven't been active in a long time. So I'm trying to get more active, especially with the podcast and stuff like, oh my gosh, keeping track of all that stuff is crazy. How do you do it? <laughs> well, the one that I always kind of use the most, cause I mean, when you get into social media, there are so many different ones is I find that when I'm out and about, one of the first things I get asked is, oh, are you on Facebook? So if I'm going to like focus my attention and my energy, post the most frequently, I definitely do that on my author page, just because that's what people tend to ask. Most people are on Facebook. They may even not ask you and they'll search to see if you're on Facebook. So definitely am very, very encouraged because some people I know, um, I, I know a couple writers that are very anti-Facebook and I'm like, okay, even if you don't want to have like a profile, it is very important if you're going to be like, have any kind of business, but especially if you're going to be like a artist or an author, like having a Facebook page is pretty much a must just because like someone might see your book on a shelf, may not even meet you at a market. They might see your book on a shelf, be curious about you and they're immediately going to go to Facebook. They're not going to hit Google 90% of the time. They're going to go on Facebook and see if they can find if you have a page. And from there, then they'll might go to your website or continue to look for you. So um, 
when it comes to how to do it, <laughs> there's no, there's no tried and true way, but, uh, you know, there's studies into optimum posting times when you'll get the most clicks, when you'll get the most views, when you'll get the most shares. Um, but then again, that also comes down to, you've just kind of got to figure out what works for your audience. Watch your views, watch your shares. Cause it depends on what kind of people you're hitting versus when they're on social media. But um, I think I read somewhere not too long ago that people are most willing to not only like, but share your post at 1.30 because they've just finished lunch and they're feeling generous. <laughs> yeah, I've read those same studies. I do have a Facebook page, but sometimes I like, I just don't know what to put on there. I don't know what to post on there. I don't even know what people even want to know about. Um, what kinds of things do you put on your Facebook page? Well, that's the thing is that you, of course, you always want to, especially with someone like me who has a bunch of books, you want to be like, buy my books, buy my books, go buy my books. Ah! But like, people don't like that. They don't like having uh, the product just foisted at them. So you've got to find a balance. Like I don't post every day of the week. Some people do. I do not have enough content for that, but um, like find a balance. Sometimes be like, Hey, like I, like Lulu runs a bunch of uh, coupons. So uh, if there's like a 15% off, I'll be like, Hey, like get your books now, 15% off. And I'll have little emojis. Emojis are a biggie, which we'll come back to that. But uh, have little hand emojis pointing down to the link. Be like, Hey, get your copy. It's good through this point. And then like a day or two later, I might post a picture of like a draft sitting on a table and be like, oh man, work never ends. And then maybe like a writer meme and then an article on writing. And then, hey, have you got your copy of, it's just kind of one of those, don't always be peddling your product. Um, sometimes just post what you're up to, post pictures, be a human. They can relate with you if you're not just a marketing campaign. And with the emojis, um, I get a lot of people who laugh at me when I'm like, there's a science to emojis. But um, the thing with emojis is recognizable images. Sometimes people see this block of text and they're like, nope, and they'll keep scrolling. But if you break that up with emojis and they start seeing pictures of things they like, like a book or a dog or a cat or a skull, um, that, that that will click that'll go catch their attention they might be more inclined to not scroll past and actually read the post because you know they say a picture says a thousand words like it's the same concept with the emoji of you see that it's brightly colored it's cute it's probably something that appeals to you so you're kind of like ooh, and that's just like i like i said i put the little hands that point down at the links whenever i post like to sell uh books is it's like there's no mistaking what to click. It's very, it's not just blah, 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 blah. Click here. We got to get on that, Joy. God, I know, right? <laughs> We're, we both sort of dipped our toes into the TikTok world. Uh, she's having much better success than me. <laughs> it is. I don't know if you've been over there, Sarah, but it is a very strange, strange place. I ended up like in some weird TikTok worlds where I'm like, I don't know how I got here, but here I am. TikTok, TikTok's not one that I have dipped into just because like, frankly, I don't know what I'd put on there. If I'm being honest, I, I do remember um, when I'm not writing from time to time, um, I do substitute teach mostly middle school and high school. And it was quite hilarious. Um, I had a student one time ask me, are you on TikTok? And I was like, no. And they were just like, you'd be a good TikToker. You're very funny. Totally. Like I 
this is I I might have 14 year old twins who are helping me with TikTok since I don't know what I'm doing. And we worked really hard on some of these cute, funny little author skit kind of video kind of things. They got like 100 views or whatever. And then I was waiting for an appointment one day and I was just like parked somewhere in my town and there were these weird stairs leading up to the railroad tracks and it looked really inviting but at the top of the stairs it's like do not enter or something weird like that so i took a video of it and posted it seven thousand views i'm like what <laughs> look at my other stuff you guys <laughs> like, tiktok's definitely more like not that you can't use it for marketing because i know people that do but tiktok definitely appeals to like the younger audience for sure. And they just want like the weirdest possible, <laughs> silliest, memeiest thing they can find. It's yeah. been fun. It's been fun. I'm going to keep at it because I, I, the girls and I are having a good time with it. So I need For to you. find more rattlesnakes to put on mine because that is them. my big hit. <laughs> you know, and, like just find more. I don't really want to find more rattlesnakes, but, you know, I guess um, that is the thing. This I feel like, like that's the uh, popular, uh, the hot topic right now. My dog gets a lot of hits on there too. I should just start her her own channel and have her market me. I think that might work better. You know, I would say pets are actually good because when you said the dog, it made me think um, there was one time I was doing a GoFundMe because um, I got my novel monsters into the International Miami Book Fair back in 2017. And you pay a fee to get it into the book fair, but that doesn't get you there and of course, I'm like, my book's in the book fair. I want to go. So I did a GoFundMe and uh, I used a picture of um, my cat for one of the marketing things. I um, had like three $20 bills kind of spread and I had sat them next to me on the couch and being a cat, she reached out and she grabbed them. She had her paw, like those little toes just gripping. And so I, uh, I took a picture and I was like, uh, I don't remember which one it was. I think it was Doodle. I'm like, Doodle, um, really appreciates the donations and so do we hit up the GoFundMe and I got like several donations just because the cat was holding 60 bucks so yeah I may I might make these pets work for their their keep around here from yeah. now on to do book marketing for me <laughs> well I've already got the kids doing it so why not right <laughs> right so Sarah do you have a for your publishing business, do you have an LLC or something set up? How do you handle taxes and all that nitty gritty stuff that goes with it? Uh, at this point, I pretty much just track like the sales and I do um, off the top of my head. I don't know the form, but there's like the uh, self-employed form because I have a couple of different places I pull money from because I also sell some uh, arts and designs on like t-shirts and merch on like Redbubble. So pretty much at the moment, I don't make enough for it to be a big amount, but I, uh, oh shoot, I just did this. I can't think of the name of the form, but there's a form. If you Google it, it'll tell you for like self-employed income. Essentially you would claim the self-published money as self-employed. Okay. So, but you don't have an LLC set up and no, uh, yeah, we have another friend that self-publishes and he has all that stuff set up. It's a different entity. And I was like, oh, that that sounds like so intimidating and overwhelming um, to do it that way. So it's good to know that you can do it without doing all of that. So. Oh, yeah. Like, obviously, you've got to, like, be very diligent about tracking, like, your profits and whatnot. But uh, for, for Redbubble and Lulu both, you had to have a PayPal account. So it's very easy for me because I just go in at tax time and I look up from like you know January 1st to December um the payments received from Redbubble or payments received from Lulu or whatever 
and it's very easy because then you just print that out you add it all up and you fill in the slot so I mean obviously if you have more things going on it could be more complicated but for me at this time it has been a pretty easy process yeah, I think the biggest thing that set me off from doing that in Colorado is that you have to collect sales tax for the state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. So you would be required to have a sales tax license and go through all that. I already do sales tax for our my day job business, and uh, I did not want to add another sales tax um, obligation. <laughs> yeah, I can I can definitely understand that. Yeah, here it's um. Obviously, there would be like a sales tax taken, but um, as far as like when I go to the markets and stuff, I just kind of name a price and I make so much and so much goes into the tax and everything. So it balances out without being a total and absolute headache, but I know that everywhere is different and people like to run their, their businesses differently too. Like in a lot of ways, I'm still very much, I, I know I've published 12 books, but in a lot of ways, I'm still very much finding my footing and finding my place in the uh, writing world and actually getting traction to take off beyond just, I have a bunch of books. We were just talking about that um, last night when we were doing an interview, actually with both of them, really um, talking about women in horror and, you know, the need for there to be, you know, more women writing it, more women publishing it. Um, You know, you're in essence, you know, your own publishing. So you're a publisher as well, you know, so you have your writer and publisher and that's something that's been sorely needed in the horror world for a long time. Um, so that's, um, that's super cool that you're able to do that and, and do it so well. Like I said, you know, your book is spot on. It's edited. It is, it is clean you know I'm just like man I wish mine had looked that way I, mean, I was doing <laughs> self-publishing but I didn't know to you have no bleed I had so much bleed in my book you know like the 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 words were like sinking into the, the oh, inside no. of the book I did a terrible job um so it's it's impressive um Now, do you ever, um, do you ever consider doing this for other authors? Have other authors approached you um, to do their book with you? Uh, It has been talked about more so recently than in the past. And it's definitely something that I would love to do because like, as I said, with the Writers of the Riverbend event, um, I really like connecting with and doing things with authors and helping out other authors. As a matter of fact, um, one of the groups that I'm a part of that does a bunch of these events and stuff is called a cup of words. And I've been doing a lot of the social media for them. It's not my group, but I've been helping out the person who's um, heads it up. And we started doing this um, monthly author spotlight. And actually June was our first month. And pretty much I had them fill out a form. I asked them some questions and once um, a week, every every week of the month so I started on the first so then like the following weeks there was some type of tailored post to them and the way I kind of laid it out was like the first one was like um about the author and then the second one was like where you can buy their books the third one was something else the fourth one I know is social media and the last one's going to be like now add them to your goodreads bookshelf and that's just been very cool and very rewarding and neat I like marketing and pushing for these other authors and I was actually getting coffee with a author friend the other day and we were talking about some stuff and um 
I told her, I think one of the reasons I get so into like helping other authors with their stuff and giving tips and um, if they have questions, I'm totally down to talk about it is when I took the dive, I didn't know really anyone who was published. I wasn't part of this community yet. I was a 20 year old kid and <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, oh no. And just that uh, was terrifying. And I still think back to, I don't know what on earth made me think that I could do this. I'm glad I did, but I look back and I'm like, it was very dear the headlights like I've lost control of this car on an icy road and somehow I'm still going <laughs> like at this point like you know this one being book 12 um I've got I've got a system down I've worked out some kinks um I have a way and a method in which I do things but essentially I like the idea of being able to be the help that I didn't know anyone that could help me like maybe miss some of those um, fumbles early on because like there's times that it's just really devastating when you're working so hard and then the thing comes out wrong and you're just like hey, put so much into this. So I guess one of the ways you probably found community early was um, the National Novel Writing Month and participating in that. I have tried to participate in that twice and failed miserably both times. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I got, I went to, I was really on track and I love the whole tracking of word counts every day. It was super fun. And then always towards the middle, I kind of peter out or get distracted by some other project. How many times have you done NaNoWriMo and what is the best benefit of that participation that you can tell us about? I've done it five times. And of those five, I have completed the 50,000 words, four of the five. Oh my God, that is amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm usually a mess at the end, but uh, the first time, uh, the first time was in 2015 and it's always in November, the main event. Uh, they've kind of redone how they do things, um, which I can circle around back to here in just a minute. But um I had known about it for a long, long time, but the three books I had done at the time were like, <sighs> the first one's pretty short. And then like the second and third one were um, anywhere from 20 to 30 K. And they took me a couple months to write. And so I was like, oh, there's no way I could write a 50,000 word book ever in my life, let alone in a month. And um, so it always just been one of those things. It sounded cool. Wow, what a dream, but it's never going to happen. And um, in June of 2015, my dad passed really suddenly. So in those following months, there was a lot of uh, me trying to, to find things to get me back into wanting to write and wanting to make art. And uh, because he was really, really big on horror. He was really big on writing. He was really big on graphic design. And those were all things that were very me. But when he first passed, I, I had a real rough time. He and I were very close. So um it was trying to find things to get me back into actually enjoying things that I enjoyed. And uh, I think it was like September rolled around. And one of my writing friends at the time was like, Hey, I'm doing NaNoWriMo. You should do it with me. It's kind of fun to do with a friend. And I'm like, are you nuts? I, I can't even think straight. And she's like, yeah, it'd be something to do. And the more I thought about it, I had this kind of big overblown idea that I wanted to write called monsters. And <laughs> it was like, 
I don't know how I'm even going to tackle this. And in essence, I'd like to think it could be 50,000 words. So why not? So basically I signed up for Nano the first time as, as a distraction and something to do with a friend. And I really, really surprised myself with the, I, I usually didn't outline. I just wrote as I went, but um, I, I wrote a super loose outline and I stuck with it. And there were a couple of days I'd miss and then I'd make a comeback with like 6,000 words day two and getting towards the end, I was like, I'm not going to make it. And meanwhile, my friend was lagging back here at like 23,000. And I'm over here like, I didn't think I'd get past 10. Oh my gosh. And I actually ended the month with 50,009 words. I remember that number because I was so dang proud of it. But I wasn't even done with the book. <laughs> so I kept going, ended up with a 94,000 word book. That is my biggest book thus far. And it took so, so long to edit because the writing process with it was just crazy wild. But um, I was like, that was fun. So I skipped it 2016 because I was still working on getting monsters all figured out. But 2017, 2018, and 2019, I did nano novels. Uh, generally with friends, I think maybe 2019, nobody else did it with me. I'm trying to remember. But uh and just completed novel after novel after novel and then took the white heat crap because when you're writing that fast, it is garbage. Your plot's there, but it's not good. But there's something to be said about that style, that type of writing. Um, I call it the white heat writing in the moment of you don't let anything stop you from getting the idea down. You're not trying to form that perfect sentence because sometimes when I was younger, especially, I was like, oh, it's got to be perfect the first time. And in trying to craft that perfect sentence, you would lose the drive, you'd lose the juice, you'd lose the essence of what you were trying to get down on paper. And you can go back and edit it 150 times, but you're never going to get that like moment of, I have this idea and it's hot in my blood and everything. And I remember for me, a big time in high school that really struck, and this is right before I'd written my first book was a we were reading this, I mentioned this to Brenda actually the other day, this writing book called uh, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. And the reason that I love that book so much is her chapter called Shitty First Drafts. And it was, you know, you're sh there's no such thing as a good first draft. It's going to be crap. And I remember reading that and being like, this is what I needed to hear. And it was an aha moment and the light came down and um, <laughs> I wrote my first book. So clearly did something right. So it's definitely one of those things. It's fun to do with friends. It's a very great challenge. It is not easy. I actually did not, for the first time, I was a little sad. I did not complete the challenge in 2020, but 2020 was a, an off year. But um, yeah, no, it's been super, super crazy, super fun. And it's definitely an undertaking. Like you have to have the time, the drive and the tools to get it done. Yeah, I, I, when I did it first, I think it was in 2016, 2017-ish, and um, that was pre-COVID, obviously, so people mm -hmm. were meeting up in places, um, but I don't live near a major city, really, so there was really nobody in my immediate area, so I had to travel over an hour to get to one of the get-togethers. And everybody was saying the same, same thing. You were either like killing it or you were like, oh, dear God, I've got five words down. <laughs> 
there was no in between in that group. Um, but it was nice to have some camaraderie. And one of the things that I liked is like, you know, you have your word goal for the day and you could see yourself gaining and getting there. And it was almost like a video game type feeling where you kind of had this feeling of accomplishment, which I could see would definitely motivate people to continue going. So um, I don't know what that says about me that I never finished. <laughs> It's, it's difficult even if you really want to do it like sticking with it and like you said there, there are days no matter how kick butt of a writer you are and how into your story you are there are days you're going to sit down and you're like all right I'm going to get my word through today and you just stare at that screen and you type two words and both of them are trash so you delete them like and there's other days you sit down and it's like, wow, I just wrote 3000 words in five minutes, which of course that's not possible, but um, <laughs> general uh, concept of sometimes, some days it's just going to fall out of you and other days it's just it's like pulling teeth and it's horrible, but uh, they've kind of redone their, their website over the past couple of years. So I don't know if either of you have seen, but um, they also, this is an old thing right here. They used to do Camp NaNoWriMo in April and July. And that's like a, the concept's a, a virtual writing retreat. And instead of it being the 50,000 word goal for the month, you set your goal for the month and you can choose either a writing project or an editing project. And um, so that's always been fun, but they've redone their website where they still have camp in April and July and they still have nano in November, but you can set um, projects and goals of your own throughout the year of any sort. So that thing you were saying you like where you see the, word count increasing you could say let's say you're working on a book and things are a little spazzy nuts so you're like you know I'd kind of like to have 20,000 words by the end of July or by the end of August or I don't know just you could set that and it would still have that little chart that would chart your progress and you'd see when you hit your goals and so that's been something that I know a lot of writers have found very cool and beneficial because there is something rewarding about having a visual representation of your progress in writing on a project. Because I know that for me, like, eh, things have been very crazy and I haven't written a whole lot the last couple months. And so with July coming up, I'm going to do a uh, camp for July and I'm going to have my little chart because if I see I'm not making it I'm like oh I need to sit down I actually need to do it so sometimes I need that kick in the pants to get me going yeah I may have to try that because I, I really do like that little visual seeing that you're gaining on your goal I think that's important to keep you motivated um I know that you wrote a romance novel called Starcross which was <laughs> a divergence from your usual genres um, every once in a while, I actually tried my hand at a romance novel and it did not go well. It turned, it took a horrible, dark, disturbing twist and I just had to laugh and I finished it and put it in a drawer because it's, it, 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 I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but how is that writing cross genre? I know people have told me that's the way to go be a cross genre author, but I don't know if my little dark brain can do it. How did that work out for you? So um, for me, like um, people are always surprised if they just met me when they find out that I write horror because they're like, oh, you're so cute and you're so funny and you're bright and you're sunshiny. And I am like at work, I, I, um, I work retail right now um, when I'm not writing and subbing. I, uh, I'm very much like the clown. I always make jokes. I'm always a goober and I'm very friendly and upbeat and sunshiny. And I'm like, I can be both. 
so um when I'm not like publishing though I have a writing group we used to meet weekly but we were all a bunch of college kids so we all moved away and everything and we still do stuff like zoom once in a while but um I wrote all kinds of different things. We would have these writing prompts and you had to kind of meet the brief and then we would share what we wrote. We only had 20 minutes to write. So it was usually like a summary or a poem or a flash fiction. And I tended to write these super stupid one-liner funny things that you could never publish. And then sometimes I'd write this super dark and twisted thing and other times this really emotional thing. And I realized that I didn't really want to be buttonhold is just a horror author as much as that is like what I I love to read the types of games I like to play the movies and shows I like that's what I like to write I was like I write a lot of other stuff too so I like had this idea in my mind for this story which I say it's a romance novel and I was talking with someone not too long ago it's more of a romantic drama it's a little heavier than just a romance novel because it hits on some heavy themes but it's not dark or twisted or spooky which was different because <laughs> even some of my um my paranormal fiction isn't so much scary it's still on the darker side and this really wasn't and I remember it's um the story takes place over 40 years because this couple keeps kind of they come together something happens they split and something fate brings them back together and uh they um I split it into parts based on the year so there's part one part two part three and there's a tiny little part four at the end and I remember I was writing, I was about halfway through part two and I was terribly, terribly stuck. And I <laughs> messaged my editors because they're dear friends of mine as well. And I'm just like, what the heck did I think I was doing? Why did I think I could do it? They're like, oh, part one was great. You need to keep going. And I'm like, it's trash. And I had a meltdown and then I wrote the rest. And I'm genuinely very happy with the um, outcome now. Am I ever going to do it again? Uh, probably not. I plan on departing more, but not in the uh, romantic direction. But yeah, no, it was definitely one of those things. It's like seeing it come out and it being done. It was very rewarding. But I was actually just talking. I don't remember who it was, someone the other day about this because I was obviously talked to some people. Oh, I'm going to be on this podcast and I'm so excited and we're going to talk about books. And so I'm like, Starcrossed will probably come up. And I'm like, so I remember at the time I was gearing up for I'm trying to remember which Nano. I was gearing up for NaNoWriMo and I was going to do my, I think it was 2018, my uh, psychological alien abduction horror novel, which I had been wanting to do for so long. And I was mortified. I couldn't carry psychological horror in the length of a novel because it is so different than just normal horror. And I had carried it in short fiction, but I was nervous about doing a book. So I'd outlined and I was like, I want to write something scary. And, you know, October is right before November. So Halloween is everywhere and I'm writing romance. And I'm just like, no, I can't start it yet because I got to have the whole, I need to get 50K in November. That is the easiest NaNoWriMo I have ever had. That book just fell out of me onto the page every day. And usually like slaving over it, endless coffee, sweat, blood and tears. And my sister lives in Montana now. And we were both doing it and we were messaging back and forth our progress. And one day she's like, hey, how's your nano? I'm like, oh, I got my words for today. And she's like, that is like, it's not even noon. 
And I'm like, yeah, I know. And she's like, you make me sick. I'm over here crying and you're over there getting lunch with a friend, maintaining a social life and you've got your words. And I was like, So I think it just brought me full circle to that. Like horror is definitely my home as it were when it comes to writing and everything. But I definitely liked going out. I like keeping things fresh. I like doing different things. And right now I'm actually working on a uh, maritime period piece fantasy novel that is not scary at all. <laughs> but uh, in, in between, I've done some short horror fictions and we're editing horror fiction as it were. So it's I get to kind of mix it all up. I was just going to say that's that's really cool because I'm kind of like you, Joy. I try to write some romance or something and somebody and somebody's dead. Somebody's <laughs> always dead. They're always that dead. By the not, or they're well. eaten or yeah, <laughs> or they end up like some sort of taxidermy art installation or something terrible <laughs> happens. Yes, just always. Easy. It always turns dark. I can't. It's help very me. easy to. It's very easy to put it back in the dark area. And I told. I literally was like, "No." Anytime I try to, I just slap my hand. Stop. Yeah, yeah. You definitely just through publishing and writing and being able to write in different genres and stuff like that, you show um, some excellent self discipline that um, I think writers need to have. That I probably need to develop better. <laughs> you do put me on that list hey, you know but some some people really like what I always tell folks when I'm talking especially to I would say young but young isn't correct because I know plenty of older folks like this too that are intro writers they're new writers they haven't written a lot yet um people go how, where do you get your inspiration how do you get these ideas like honestly I don't know 90 90 different places on any given day um but you should write the stories that are in you and the stories you have to tell. And if the stories you have to tell aren't bright and sunshine, then don't write bright and sunshine. If the stories you have to tell aren't dark and brooding, don't write dark and brooding. Like, just write what's true to you, um, what's in you, because I feel like you can tell when somebody wrote something that wasn't them. That is very true. That is very true. Um, one of the reasons that you kind of came onto our radar is that you've wrote a book about a certain lake. Hi <laughs> to one of us. Um, Brenda, do you want to tell us a little bit how that came about? I just, uh, well, I mean, mom, mom got a letter or something. And she's like, there's this writer and she's writing about, you know, the lake. And my mom owns a part of an old Girl Scout camp. And uh, so that's kind of how... I found out that Sarah was was writing this book that I keep on showing, um, Lake Vator. Um, I'm not even sure what that lake's actually even called now, but for me, it's now Lake Vator <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. Um, you know, so it's my mom's land, and um, and then um, then the lodge. She didn't buy the lodge and everything that that belongs to um, other people and stuff but um but it is a interesting little place my family's lived down in southern illinois in this area for i don't even know how many generations um you know all my ancestors are buried there and everything like that and so um to know that someone was writing about the area um was was very excited to exciting to me and then knowing that somebody was writing um was writing horror 
um, about the area was even more exciting. Um, and then um, we both have a little bit of tragedy tied into it. Um, you know, I, I don't even think I really got, did I even meet you? It was such a weird no. time. Cause my, my brother had passed um, when you were actually in the middle of research and I know a tragedy, um, you know, touched you. So I think we have this bittersweet, like love and, and kind of, you know, a little bit of sadness tied into this lake, um, both of us and the area and the time, you know, the times that we had, but, um, but, um, it's a very good book. Um, I'll let you talk about it. Um, but, um, <laughs> here it is. Um, and I'll let you, you tell us a little bit about your, what, what prompted you to, you know, start, start the story. So, um, it was back in 2015. It was June. Um, my sister is younger than me, her Girl Scout troop. It was their last big hurrah before they graduated high school and were no longer Girl Scouts anymore. Um, they were going to be adult Girl Scouts at that point. So usually we did um, weekend camping trips, but they were like, no, no, no. We want this to be a big deal. So instead of just the weekend, we did a five-day thing and we picked a camp that was far out from where we live. So where this lake is is about three hours from where I, I live. So um, we headed out to the lake and I remember and some of this which Brenda would know because she's read the book as I'm telling some of this she'll be ah there's that there's this um when we met the ranger because you always meet the ranger at the lodge and they tell you a little bit about the property and um things to look out for things to be mindful of where you can get in touch with them he mentioned that just over yonder was a uh, a roost a turkey vulture roost and just to be mindful of that because it can be kind of crazy there's at least 30 of them and you know turkey vultures are not small birds and uh, we're like, oh, cool. Well, immediately my dark, twisted little mind goes, vultures eat dead things. Why are there so many? <laughs> so I remember I usually didn't bring my laptop on camping trips, but seeing as we were staying in a lodge and we were going to be gone for five days and we actually had a lot of downtime planned, I was like, coolio, I'm going to write when I have time. So I uh, instantly start scribbling in a notebook and I actually, I don't even know if I still have this, but when I picked up the stuff to write the book recently I found the original piece of paper where I scribbled my notes and the very first thing I wrote was spooky lake why so many vultures eat dead things good source of food and there's just these awful little branches and disjointed they're not even real sentences but um so I was like okay yes 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 I'm gonna write a spooky book about this place I can already feel it so I like I'm making notes, I'm making characters as I'm hiking, I'm making like landmarks and I'm picking things out. And um, I remember pretty distinctly one night um, the where we were sleeping was on the lower level and one side is pretty much all windows and it faces the lake. And um, it's late. It's about three in the morning and I get woken up by this light shining in the window. And I had just that night conceptualized the first night that the, the creature comes out and gets somebody. And so I'm like, he's come. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have tempted the fates. We're all going to die. Well, it turned out it was some idiot in a boat <laughs> who had gotten stuck and was trying to see where he could turn around. But in the moment, I was like, oh, no. So um, I've got this book idea. And uh, I also do photos. So I was... um going on little mini hikes around with my brand new telescoping photo lens. I was all excited about that and taking pictures of the property. And 
one morning my sister and her friend were fishing and if you hike around past where these turkey vultures roosted there's a little um outcrop and you can take pictures across the lake um and I was like since I have the telescoping lens I can get good pictures so I went I took pictures on my way back I am walking and above me in the tree I hear something the of weight shift and in Illinois, it's not uncommon for squirrels or little birds. You hear branches, but this was like the size of a child above me went goosh. And when you're alone in the woods and you're not thinking about the fact the ranger told you there were turkey vultures, I'm like, just freeze. Like it was like a horror movie. I froze and all the hairs are standing up and I have to get the guts to look up and I look up. And this man was not joking because there are literally at least 30 turkey vultures and they are all staring at me. (laughs) I remember having this moment of abject horror followed by, if I die, these are going to be awesome pictures. (laughs) And I just snap, snap, snap. And they all just take off. And my mom and the other people who were outside were like, we knew where you were because even though we couldn't see you, all these birds just... So then I'm just snapping pictures as they're flying by, as they're landing and taking off again. I probably was over there like 20 minutes just taking pictures. I was like, yes, I want to capture that moment of in a book, which I already had a lot of notes for. And um, I know I mentioned earlier on that like my dad and I were really close and he passed away and everything. So he was still um, with us when I was at this camp initially and there was limited cell reception, but I hadn't texted him anything. I wanted this to be a surprise, but he'd already really been supportive and pushed me with my writing. He was a horror fan. He was an art fan. He was a writing fan. Heck yes. I was everything that he could dream I would ever be basically. <laughs> and um, I did send him one picture. I took of the vultures and of course being a dad, he's like, you be careful. I'm like, oh, don't worry. They won't attack me unless they think I'm dead. And because uh, <laughs> I mean, they're scavengers, but um. I was so ready to go home and share this, uh, this amazing idea that I had with him because in so many ways, it was like everything he liked in horror fiction in one nice little tight package. Plus I had camped there and we stopped hearing from him all of a sudden and, uh, just didn't feel right. Like I said, we're three hours from home, but, and I'm just, I'm not feeling good about it. So I left early drove the three hours home and uh he'd had a heart attack and he'd passed away so all excitement everything from that trip was a little tainted for a while and I would try to look at the outline and I just couldn't do it there was too much hurt there was too much attached to it but I never threw it away because I knew that it was a good idea and I knew it was a good story and I knew its time would come and I would get it out every so often I'd look back over it and I'd go nope and put it back away just because, and I think that it, it would have been rough had it been like, oh, I came up with this and then he died. But it was just the sheer excitement of coming home and sharing this with my dad. And that's never going to happen. Even the idea, let alone the finished the finish book. So fast forward to NaNoWriMo 2019. I finally said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write this. I think I'm ready. And if there's tears, let there be tears because I think I've hit that, that place. So um, I wanted to revisit the property because with everything, despite the pictures, there were things that were just a haze from that time of my life. And um, 
my editor I had not met until after this camp adventure. So he'd never seen it. So I wanted to take him there. I wanted so badly I'd shown him pictures, but I wanted him to get in there and feel the vibe because my other editor is actually my sister. So she'd been there. She knew and understood and everything. She could connect these places. He couldn't. And I told him, I said, I think you'll have a better grip if. So he'd read the book once because I had it done at this point. And then as Brenda said, I sent, (laughs) I went digging through the public record. I sent letters to the two people who owned the property had been split in half. I heard back from both and I was just, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was going to get ignored, honestly, because like, you know, some stranger sends you a letter wanting to come to your property and take pictures. <laughs> but um, So we got it all set up and we went and there were some things where it had changed and there were some things where it was exactly the, the same. It was just crazy because I want to say we went October 2020. I'm trying to remember that sounds right yes yeah so um that was just very neat to get to share it with him and it was really cool because you would see like a light bulb switch click whenever i'd be like this is where this happens or this was based uh this kind of moves over here and he would just be like that's so cool okay and he told me after when he reread and did the next draft he's like it was a completely different reading experience after i got to go there and not only oh i've seen it in pictures but, like feel the vibe of the place And in a lot of ways, I would give anything to have my dad back in my life, to have him see where I've gone, how far I've taken the horror writing. But in a lot of ways, this book, I look at who I was then and I look at who I am now, and it could not have been as good, as incredible, as well-rounded of a story as it was without some of the dark things that came as a result so it's one of those things where it's like it stinks that it happened but everything happens for a reason no matter what your like spiritual or religious beliefs are everything happens because it happens like there's a grand scheme to things and I think that in some ways like this book couldn't have been a reality this book that I think he would literally think is the coolest thing in the world if there hadn't been some tragedy and things in between And I really, what I love about it, and I think that Brenda will know what I'm saying here, is that the first half of the book, you're like, there's something out there, and it's super scary, and what is it? And then at the halfway point, you see the thing, but from there on, it takes a turn, because you don't expect it to be, but the rest of it becomes a little bit of a horror whodunit, because you realize there is more to it than just the spooky thing out there. And I actually had that concept back in 2015, but I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pull that off. So... (laughs) Yeah, I would, I would say it was, it's definitely horror, but it's definitely kind of a thriller mm-hmm. kind of as well, um, which makes it kind of sets it as being unique. Um, we were wondering, are, are you going to read for us? Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> if you guys would like me to. We would love oh, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, please. Because yeah. Um, yeah, no, I was yesterday slaving over, oh gosh, what do I read out of here? <laughs> That's always the hard choice, isn't it? (laughs) I think I settled. I have just a small piece and then we'll fast forward a bit that I was going to read because I think, once again, Brenda's read it, but I think she'll really appreciate. This is kind of describing the the property a little bit. So So I'll give a little bit of setup. I'm going to jump right into the scene of 
our main characters are a here i'm just gonna set the book the main character is shane and shane is um he's in the summer between his junior and senior year of high school and his parents are like we should go out to this cabin for the summer it's gonna be awesome in this getaway so they go so his parents are don and beth lucas he's shane lucas and they end up at this place lake vator and it seems like a dream but then he's hearing weird noises at night but there's this cute girl who lives across the lake and then her brother's this really cool guy so of course he wants to hang out with the cool guy he's in that in between of he wants to be a man but he's still a boy and there's this cute girl and then there's a a weird hermit who lives on the property and there's two rangers one's really young and friendly one's really dark uh, old and mean and there's just a lot going on here but so this is as the Lucases are first arriving at their cabin getaway. Uh, honey, can you check the map? I know the website said that the turnoff for our cabin could be easy to miss, Don said to Beth, biting his lower lip and scratching his stubble. Beth pulled the folded up piece of paper from her purse and looked between it and the road. Um, you should be close. There, there it is, she suddenly shouted, and Don had to take a hard left so as not to miss the narrow drive almost completely hidden by foliage, causing Shane to bounce around in the back seat. He was glad that he was no longer leaning against the window, or he would have been starting his summer vacation with a nasty bump. Easy to miss, Don grumbled under his breath. Try cutting back some of those damn bushes. Beth gently patted his shoulder, and he stopped his griping, glancing at her and smiling apologetically. Not much farther now. This should be the driveway, he said, loud enough for both Beth and Shane to hear. The driveway was completely enclosed in an archway of trees, blocking out almost all of the sunlight. Shane caught a chill and wished that he was sitting up front where he could adjust the AC. The car finally emerged from the cover of trees and into a clearing, the cabin visible farther down the drive beyond a spanning lawn. Beth let out a subdued squeal, putting her hand over her open mouth and starting to giggle as Don smiled at her excitement. Shane looked out his window and could see the lake farther out beyond the house. It looked almost exactly like on the website, but creepier somehow. And so there's like just a general when they first pull up and it's more so the lodge side was what I based my story on than um, the side that Brenda's parents own. But I mean, it's all part of the same. So I know that turn. <laughs> there's actually two of those that are just like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but yeah, right. I'm like, oh, that sounds like mom's driveway. <laughs> I remember that very clearly when we were driving out there. We got to make sure and they give you this cruddy little hand-drawn thing and it's in no way to scale and you're like oh from here to there and you're like oh (laughs) so definitely based that on experience as many things in here uh no one died for real at the camp so at least there was that you know nobody was killed by a spooky creature in the woods so (laughs) but here's like a an excerpt of actual like you know spooky action just when shane thought he would give up and head upstairs he heard it closer than he had either of the other nights. It sounded like it was right outside the cabin, just at the edge of the woods skirting the lawn. With the closer proximity, Shane did not know how to describe it. It sounded less like a bird and more like a mix between a howl and a human wail. All curiosity left him in that moment. He did not want to see whatever was making that god-awful noise. He just wanted it to leave him be and his family alone. He wondered how his parents couldn't hear it. It cried out again, this time even closer, and Shane bolted from the couch, Whatever was out there he could feel in his gut was no good. It was on the hunt again. He grabbed the phone receiver off the wall in the kitchen and quickly dialed the number for the ranger station taped next to the cradle. The phone rang five times and went to an answering machine. 
hello this is shane lucas staying at 507 lakeshore road on lake vator there's something outside that i can hear howling in the trees i I don't think it's a normal animal i don't know what it is but can you please send someone here to check it out another yowl cut through the night air there it is again please send someone out here i'm really spooked shane hung up the phone pacing nervously when there were no more repeats of the sound or signs of a ranger he finally went up to his room and lay down in bed too scared to fall asleep until he finally couldn't hold his eyes open any longer. Shane had woken up early, unable to stay asleep, images of what could have been making the sound haunting his dreams and causing him to keep waking up. He'd finally pulled on some clothes and gone downstairs to wait for the ranger, if one ever came. He had not bothered to comb his hair, and the quick glance he'd taken in the mirror revealed his eyes to be ringed with dark purple bags. He'd found Eggos in the freezer and popped a couple into the toaster. After picking at them, he'd sat on the couch and fiddled nervously with the tassels on the throw blanket draped over the back. He practically flew off the couch when he heard a vehicle making its way along the driveway and opened the front door to see one of the ranger trucks pulling up next to the cabin. Ranger Damon climbed out, unwrapping a piece of gum and placing it in his mouth. You called about a disturbance, he said, nodding to Shane and squinting against the sun. He promptly put on his hat to help shade him. Yeah, good thing it wasn't a real emergency. Shane huffed, following Ranger Damon as he walked around to the back of the house, looking out over the lake. Sorry, Ranger Station closes at 11 and opens at 7. Shane jumped as the foot of the hill that led up to the fire ring came into view. A turkey vulture was sitting on the ground, picking at a mangled deer carcass. Ranger Damon couldn't help but chuckle as Shane realized it wasn't some kind of monster. So what exactly do you think you heard last night? I don't know, Shane said, disgusted but unable to take his eyes off of the vulture, ripping the strips of meat from the bones of the carcass. It sounded like some kind of animal, or I don't know. It was yowling, and it it didn't sound like anything I've ever heard before. Ranger Damon nodded, chewing his gum and surveying the immediate area. But you didn't see anything? No, I didn't even look I was so spooked. Ranger Damon nodded again. Well, you are out in the middle of nowhere, and sound carries at night. It can get distorted over distance. You probably heard a coyote or an owl or one of the vultures, maybe even a fox. Shane shook his head. No, this was not like anything I've ever heard before. Ranger Damon inhaled sharply, wanting to watch his words. Look, I know I'm a city boy and all that, but I know that what I heard was not normal. It was wrong. It just... Hey, Shane! Kelsey emerged from the trees, waving to him. He suddenly wished that he had bothered to comb his hair. Oh, hi, Damon. I didn't expect to see you here. Kelsey grinned at him charmingly, and Shane suddenly felt uncomfortable. Yucko, she exclaimed, sticking out her tongue as she passed near enough to the deer carcass for the vulture to pause and look up at her, bracing to fly away if it felt the need to retreat. She kept walking, and it resumed its eating. Hi, Kelsey. Ranger Damon smiled shyly, looking at the ground and kicking at the dirt. Didn't expect to see you here either. Well, you know me, Kelsey sidled up between the two guys. I'm always right in the middle of things. Ranger Damon blushed bright red, and Shane couldn't help but feel like a third wheel. He thought Kelsey seemed to have a thing for him, but the tension and chemistry between the two of them made him feel like maybe he had misinterpreted. So how's the ranger station treating you? Oh, it's it's good. Ranger Damon looked up at her and grinned again, blushing even redder, which Shane had not thought possible until he'd witnessed it with his own two eyes. So, I take it Ranger Elton is keeping you busy running around and doing all the shit he doesn't want to? Kelsey smirked, raising an eyebrow. Ranger Elton isn't so bad, really. Ranger Damon scratched the back of his head. But I probably should get back to the station. Oh, come on. How much do you really think he's missing you? 
Kelsey pouted out her lower lip and gave him her best puppy dog eyes. Ranger Damon's voice caught in his throat, and he shifted his gaze to the turkey vulture. I, he turned his attention to Shane. I could remove that carcass for you. I have a feeling Mrs. Lucas would rather not wake up to that. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, Shane replied. His voice strained as he tried to hide how uncomfortable and frankly jealous he was feeling. If you ever need anything, Damon is always ready to serve, Kelsey almost sang. Ranger Damon walked over to the vulture and shooed it away. He went back to the truck and came back wearing a pair of work gloves, grabbing the carcass by its legs and lugging it to the truck, throwing it into the bed and quickly discarding of the gloves with it. Well, that's done. If you don't need anything else, I'm going to head back. Shane looked dejectedly at the ground and Ranger Damon patted his shoulder. Don't worry about any weird noises. It's probably nothing and really far off anyway. He shifted his attention to Kelsey. Bye, Damon. Don't be a stranger. It was good to see you, Kelsey. Ranger Damon tipped his hat to her before climbing in the truck and throwing the hat into the passenger seat. Fired up the engine, Shane and Kelsey watched until he was out of sight. Kelsey turned to Shane. Anyway, you called the ranger station about the noises? I thought we agreed that it was just the vultures. Shane continued to stare down the drive, not wanting to look at Kelsey because he felt spurned and kind of foolish. It wasn't the vultures, he said coldly. I watched them come into roost the other night. After hearing them and whatever it is again, there's no way that what I heard is the vultures. City boys getting versed in the sounds of nature. I dig it. Shane exhaled out his nostrils and managed a momentary half smile. Kelsey's tone changed. Hey, what's up? You're acting weird. Does a strange sound really have you that spooked? It's nothing. Shane shrugged and turned to look at her. But I am a little on edge. I barely slept at all last night. Aw, poor Shane, Kelsey said. Shane couldn't tell if it was real or mock sympathy. Okay, if you don't think that it was the vultures, then what do you think it is? I don't know. Why don't we go sit and talk? He pointed up the hill to the picnic table by the fire ring. Sure, Kelsey replied, narrowing her eyes at him and examining his face. The two walked up the hill to the picnic table and sat down under the shade of the trees. All right, let's hear more about this mystery animal you're losing sleep over. I think that's probably where I'll stop. Oh, that's great. That is some excellent dialogue. I love that. Yeah. Great job. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I have been trying to order a copy and I keep like getting waylaid by things, but I am ordering my copy today because <laughs> now I want to read about this. I also want to visit. So I'm sorry, Brenda, tell mom that I'm on my way. <laughs> sorry, mom. You got the vultures down really well. <laughs> It is weird because they are like, there's so many of them and they do, they, they like fly around and then, then they have their, their roost, their, their tree. Um, mom, mom and Papa P actually cut down one of them. I think mm -hmm. they were kind of ticked off. So they found a new one and stuff, but it, it is super creepy. Like how, and you know, when you're not ready for them and they're in a tree, it almost looks like it, like you were talking about when you look up, I mean, for a minute you think you like see like, I don't know, like a vampire with a cloak mm -hmm. or something. Cause they're so big. They're so big. And then vultures are not supposed to like, whenever you think of vultures flying around the way that my mom's vultures fly around at Lake Vatour, um, <laughs> you you assume there's something dead down there so you, mm -hmm. you gotta wonder like okay they're all and then they start darting and you're like 
is there a body? Is somebody dead there? Like, I mean, it's really freaky. It's really, it's really definitely something. So the next time y'all are out there, I want video. I want audio. (laughs) I want an EVP, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I'll send you some because it's really weird. Like I, I'm not even joking. I actually, there's, I actually put a video on my TikTok of them flying around is is so weird well I sent Sarah some because I was like well Mm -hmm. if you're in the middle of writing this here have a couple of videos I took while I was there and I think you were pretty much done with writing it by then but um but yeah it was so it's so weird such a it's it's weird I'm sure yeah. there's going to be some like vulture experts like it's really not that weird but it you know it's weird no, it's weird and vulture weird. experts <laughs> that to yourself please I was like yeah, cue exactly. the vulture expert in the book <laughs> <laughs> well I'm excited to read that and um Sarah what do you have what's coming down next for you do you have something else in the works of uh, editing wise at the moment we are actually reworking some of my earlier books because like I was 2021 20, when I started I did not know what I was doing and now that I've hit a point where I know what I'm doing I'm like ooh, I don't necessarily want to change the stories but I want to change the quality and some of the editing and I have editors now so we're working on that so there'll be some second editions coming out um with monsters it's not really a sequel but uh writing more in that universe because that's that universe is huge uh working on the first of what's going to be a series called the monsters files that's an editing then writing, uh, I'd mentioned previously in the podcast, the uh, fantasy maritime period piece, which the titles is Von Shanty. Cool. So yeah, just kind of a bunch of little things going on, but it's just been a little slow going with it being uh, farmer's market season. Oh, sure. So Sarah, I heard um, you also have written a book that has... Uh, something to do with a beloved uh, Nintendo game that I'm sure a lot of our listeners um, will recognize, even people of my age, because I have played <laughs> it. So I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, so back when like the Nintendo DS had first come out, um, there weren't a lot of, because the format with the stylus and whatnot, there wasn't a lot of first-person shooters released on that uh, in that format. So then there was a game called Dementium the Ward that was released. I don't even remember the year. It was a long time ago. And uh, it was kind of groundbreaking because not only was it a first-person shooter in that format, it was a horror first-person shooter. It was super awesome. It was so well-liked that they made a sequel called Dementium 2. And I actually like Dementium 2 a lot better because I think it leaves a lot to the imagination. You find the notes scattered throughout the game from people or newspaper articles. And uh, I was reading and playing that. And I was just kind of like, you know, I want to know what, what happened to these people what's the deal with these people because you're kind of alone throughout the entirety of the game and the carnage of the aftermath of this huge event that happened and so I went through started taking notes of every name in the game which it's so cool when writing something to say playing a video game is your research because I got to play that game so many times I'm like oh I need to remember how this is set up or I need to go find that name or what room was this and it's an older game, so you can't just click and choose your chapter. You have to start over and play to that point of the game. So um, took all these names, and I built these characters around each of the names. And I wrote um, a book. It's called Demented. Wow, can't imagine where I got the title from. And um, I started it when I was in high school because it was really just one of those things for fun. Um, and it was what led up to the event of 
the big and then my version of the awful times to a conclusion and I finished it when I was in college and since I had just published for two cold minutes I kind of was like I've got the world by the tail I can do anything I contact the game devs and I hear nothing and dreams are shattered and I dropped it and every so often throughout the years I would try emailing the devs again and I would get no reply and I don't even remember how but um, a couple of years ago I found out that the reason I wasn't hearing anything was because Renegade Kid, the the company, had actually split and disbanded. And so I found out which of the two guys had the rights to the Dementium series. And I messaged him. Within an hour, I had heard back that he was totally interested. He thought it was so cool that I had taken the time to like deeply research and write this um, book. But he did, of course, want to like read it before he gave it his blessing. So sent it to him and he read it. He was his name's Greg. He was amazing, an absolute gem. Uh, he thought it was great. He thought it was very cool angle of their universe. So he gave me the go ahead to publish. And at the way back when I wrote it, I have a friend who does art, um, Ellie Taylor. She had done illustrations based on like the game monsters and pictures from the game that I'd given her. So there's a bunch of original hand-drawn illustrations in there. He approved all of those, thought they were fantastic. So uh, that one actually on the cover, you'll see it says like by Sarah J. Do, illustrations by Ellie Taylor. And then it, I can't remember if it says uh, inspired or based on, but uh, Dementium 2. And on the back, there's a blurb from Greg. So it's kind of cool to be able to say one of my books is officially affiliated with a Nintendo game. That is very cool. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of folks out there that would like to read that. I'm thinking my my boy upstairs would just really get into that and have to check that out for him. It's also one of those things where because the way it was written, it's radical if you know the game, but you can totally appreciate it and enjoy it if you don't know the game. So it's not like, oh, you didn't play Dementium. This isn't for you. Is there anywhere on the web that we can keep track of you and see when these things are released into the wild? Oh yeah, I have so many that I'm not going to try to list them all here, but uh, on Facebook, you can find me under Sarah J. Do Author, which my last name spelled a little weird. It'll be in the description of the podcast, I'm sure. Um, on Twitter, I am, my at handle is Sarah underscore I write. Uh, I'm on Goodreads, and you can find me literally anywhere if you check out my website, sarahjdophotos.com. Excellent. We will put all of those in the show notes for everybody so they know where to find you and find the next things that you're working on. Thank you so much for coming over and hanging out with us and sharing your know-how and your work with us. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. This has been very fun. It's been nice to sit and talk about writing for like an hour. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's been great. Yeah, I love doing this podcast because that's exactly what we get to do is just talk about the one thing that we love the most. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, Okay, listeners, all the links to Sarah are going to be in the show notes. And as usual, you can find me at joyyaley.com and Brenda is at brendatolian.com. We really appreciate you listening in or viewing us on YouTube. You get to see the horror for yourself. And until next time, listeners and viewers, stay above ground. (laughs) 